This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. You know, Sam and I were having a, we were having an off mic conversation that always, you know, I'm always going to bring it to the to the mic because I think it's important that we have these discussions publicly. And you asked me a question about um, the new Muhammad Ali documentary, mm-hmm. and I was saying that you know, for me, I'm sure Kim Burns did an excellent job uh, because he's an, a very skilled documentarian. But for me, I realized that everything that we consume has been curated, you know, we had this conversation in class with Carr on Saturday, curated for us to feel and think, to be indoctrinated, to participate in this thing called America, you know, and I was watching CBS Sunday morning, I was telling you about that, and Mayberry, they did this whole Ted Koppel went to Mayberry, which doesn't exist, it's a fictional town somewhere in North Carolina, it's not real, but yet, you know, I remember growing up, you know, liking little Opie and Andy and and golly, you know, the um, Gomer Pyle and and uh, little uh, Barney Fife and them. And, you know, you you related to them, even if you didn't see yourself and you aspire to this wholesome, you know, life. And we all like kind of grew up, you know, wanting to get married and move to a town like that. But in reality, that town would never let me and you in there. We couldn't eat at the lunch counters. We will be treated like trash. And I feel like, you know, we're at an inflection point where everything we consume has to be second-guessed and, and examined through that lens. And I'm not even saying Ken Burns is nefarious. I'm saying that he doesn't have the capacity to see us because many of us don't have the capacity to see us. We don't even see ourselves except through that same lens. So we, we judge one another and ourselves based on what we've been indoctrinated to believe about what this is. And so, yeah, everything that I watch now, I'm like, all right, what's the agenda? Who is it served? And I think, you know, there's some Black folk that are putting out content. And even I don't think they're doing it to, to destroy Black people. But I, I think, you know, it's like white acceptance is everything. We were just, you know, watching the Emmys this weekend. And it's like, okay. Who's who are these awards for? The crown. The crown got all, all the awards. So we're celebrating a monarchy that per- propagated slavery and, and horrors throughout the you know Latin Central Latin America, the Caribbean, and divvied up Africa with, the, with their German and their Dutch and their French brethren and you know made a plan for us and like, but we oh the crown. You know, it's like really. Really, we this is what we're doing. All these monuments of of mediocrity that we erect uh, to people who could never do the things that were done previously. All they do is borrow and steal, and then uh, rape, pillage, and destroy. But there's some good things, right? So, you know, I'm sure uh, Muhammad Ali looks really well, the uh, the clips that I've seen is well done. But I have to watch it with a different eye now. Thanks to you know, when you know better, you just have to do better. Do better. Yeah. So what about no, I haven't seen it. And so someone was just asking me about it and wanted to look at his chart, Muhammad Ali's chart. They found it independent of me, but it made me curious. And then I saw your tweet, or maybe I even saw your tweet before. I was like, oh, cool. You know, and I, I haven't watched so much of Ken Burns, maybe somewhat because like, you know, I, I'm I'm wary of documentarians, you know, it's it's like how we you know, piece out history, how we talk about history. It's a different thing when it becomes entertainment, right? You know, how we 
might romanticize or even like a screenplay related to history like Troy, you know, going with a whole different thing. I was just debating with the, not debating, but discussing with an astrologer who was like, they took the gods out of Troy. And I'm like, that wasn't the point. Everyone has an agenda whenever they're making something cinematic. Right. Um, right. I mean, and that's the, that's the thing, but we, we have a very difficult time separating reality from uh, fiction because this country was built on fiction. You know, from the George Washington, liberty, give us, give me liberty or give me death. But you're keeping people in bondage. You literally are keeping people in bondage and then saying, give them, give me liberty. Liberty is everything. George Washington owned 300 plus human beings. Those teeth in his mouth came from the people on the plantation, those black people with the beautiful teeth. Those wooden teeth, that's what we were taught in school, wooden teeth, right? So, So now it's like, damn. Everything's a lie. Everything's a lie. So a country built on mythology and fiction, like real mythology and fiction, it's really hard for those of us who are in here, who are taught in the school system, the mythology and the lies. Yeah, and it comes in very subtle ways. So I watched the, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And so the Falcon or Falcon becomes Captain America. And so it's played by Anthony Mackie. Yeah, I watched it. Okay, so you you know about it. And I and I, you know, as I was watching, this is before I got my TV, so I'm watching on my iPad, you know, in my new apartment. And I remember looking at it like, the hell am I watching? Like where are they going? Especially when they got to the point where, you know, Anthony Mackey is confronting the brother. Like they tried to deal with some things, but Mackey's solution was basically like, well, let me still down on the costume and root for America. I was like, that's your solution. That's interesting. Okay. Well, or Melodges show up and they're like, um, I mean, right. so, but the, you know, this, that thing is a little different for me because it does bring in like the original, the, the first person experimented on who was, black. was black. Mm-hmm. And the first person that it worked on was black. And there's no Captain America without that shield, which comes from Wakanda. And so Anthony Mackie, at the end of that, I hope we're not giving away too much. Y'all should have watched it already. And I'll say spoiler alert. Or years, or a year at least. Spoiler alert. Um, the Dora, Dora Milaje delivered a costume, right? Mm-hmm. With the shield. So he's going to be, I don't know if he's going to be called Captain America, but but then what does that mean? So I guess you, you're asking, like, what does it mean for this black man who they didn't want? They they ushered out some other weird looking white dude to, to take over. Who uh, ended up being a murderer. Right. But isn't that, a, isn't that the truth, though? It is the truth. But I think, you know, one of the things I, I often think about is, yeah, because, you know, you might say, like, well, Sam, aren't you the one who says, like, you want the table? Yeah, but I want the table, but we have to recondition how we talk about even the table. Um, and, you know, you could say, well, Anthony Mac- Mackey went, you know, his character, I should say, um, went for the table. And I'm like, yeah, but how does that really work? And why do we try to, like, you know, blackface particular white characters, you know, like Superman is going to be like a black man, or, you know, we should have Idris Elba playing James Bond. Like, I took serious issue with that one. Okay. Um, I mean, so one would argue you know, we complain about representation. And then when we get it, we complain about representation. So y'all complain about everything. And you, you're saying, 
we don't want a blackface version of your stuff. Like so, so well, we can create more different a different version of things that are more related to our experience. So for instance, having Idris Elba become not just 007, which is open. I mean, it's, it, you know, that's just a, a, it could be anybody particularly, but he's gonna become James Bond. People were lobbying, like he should be the next James Bond. And like, how does that work considering the trajectory of what James Bond does that a black man goes inconspicuously into largely white spaces, like as a spy? as a spy. Now, well, he could be a waiter. Well, he could be a waiter. Well, you know, this is from, he could be the the the, the, the driver. He could be a speak. Black people are invisible everywhere. What are we talking about? But are they prepared then this is my point. Then are they prepared to do it as a different thing? So for instance, Sam Greenlee said in the spook who sat by the door, a black man with a mop can go anywhere in the world. Right? So we saw an iteration of that in the banker starring Anthony Mackie. And I forgot who else was in that Samuel L. Jackson and a few others, but they they were taking over banks. And there's a, a scene where um, Nia Nia Long plays the wife. She comes in, she's cleaning. Mm -hmm. No one's paying any attention to her because, of course, that's she's doing her role, but she's actually the one. So, but you're right. Okay, go ahead, continue. I just so want to if it's gonna be if we're gonna talk about a black man as a spy for the empire because that's essentially what James Bond is. He's for the empire, he's for the British empire. Then you're gonna have to do something you know, innovative and it's not just gonna be him as James Bond. We have to start talking about, well, how does he, is there any inner conflict? You know, especially if he goes into an African country because if Idris, Idris Elba, I believe is of, like we all are, African descent, but I think he's even more direct. I don't know if he's from- Right, I, I, I know he's African and I think he's part of that Windrush crowd that came through yeah. um and and yeah and but you know i would imagine though because idris seems like a brother that knows who he is and where he comes from i'm imagining that there would be like if denzel took a role uh cultural awareness would be kind of built in to, don't you think built in well, i mean i would hope but people were lobbying for that i don't know if idris would even take the role you know be like yeah no no i'm good i'm not bond um but we, we want to have that, not realizing like, well, we can come with different things, come with a different trajectory. We come from a different experience. So when people say, well, y'all complain and you want representation, we want representation that represents us, not your vision of us. That's the point that I make. Okay, so he's uh, Sierra Leone. Uh, that's, a, that's where his- I knew he was African of direct yeah. African yeah. descent. Like we um, all are, but- So, and then the other thing is, and this is the other thing, the other, other thing, you get that role, your life changes, money, you know, he has fame and money, but you know, uh, I was watching CBS Sunday morning again, uh, during that same episode talking about Mayberry, they, they, uh, they interviewed James Bro Brolin, who I grew up with Marcus Welby MD, you know, I grew up watching him. Mm -hmm. uh, and he talked about got his son, you know, the legacy. Yeah. This son's complicated. We're not, we're not talking about him, but he's married to Barbara Streisand. He talks about her being a love of his life. And I, you know, I'm just, you know, she's got my same birthday. So I, you know, I lean in extra because they got together later in life. He was almost 60 and this is the love of his life. And when he talks about his wife uh, designing every aspect, every flower in, in their home, I was like, yep, that's what she would do. Cause that's exactly what I would do. Anyway, he talks about, he almost became Bond. He almost took over for Roger Moore, who was going to retire. They contacted him, but Roger said he wanted to do one more, one more again. And he said that that role would have changed his entire career trajectory. That's an iconic role. 
that not too many people are going to turn down for uh, cultural and philosophical reasons because all of us want to be special. That's special, and, and I call them special magical Negroes. Um, Dr. Carr calls them the pick them, pick them, pick them, pick them Negro. You know, the Negro that they pick and bestow. So, for example, like Saturday Night Live is Keenan Thomas Thompson. He's there. Pick them. And I'm not, I'm thinking there are probably a thousand more brilliant, funny actors. Why him? Uh, or Jordan Peele and Keenan, 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 you know, that, that guy, um, Keenan, I can't remember his name, but the Jordan Peele, they do a lot. Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. Why Key? Key's in everything. Uh, he's in some schmigadoogan or whatever, some, some musical. I'm like, really? Why him? Hollywood or the cabal or the folk, you know, the cronies have decided that's who's going to represent in this space. They're not actually going out looking for the best, but for those pick them Negroes or those special magical Negroes, their life arc is trajectory, you know, their trajectory is changed forever. And it's hard to walk away from that, you know, uh, and I don't see them doing it. Right. So some of them feel like I could do good while I'm in it. I'm going to put people on, I'm going to give people opportunities. I'm going to, I'm going to do, but very few of them ever change the system they, well, they, they funny that you mentioned that because i um you know where i got the biggest following years ago when i first got on twitter was some rant i made about um uh about the, the I'm, i just blanked on his name um oh god i'm oh yeah easy writer easy reader easy reader what morgan freeman thank you okay (laughs) all you had to say he messed up his hand messing with his step grandchild all right that's messy so i actually went so that's a different story but i i that was my first big rant and morgan freeman is an interesting example of that kind of negro now did you know he played malcolm x in a film no, now you got me Googling. Death oh. of a prophet. You can look it up. And he okay. did it. Morgan Freeman, Malcolm X. He did it. You know, when you do Death of a Prophet and you see who he did it, he did it with um, Woody, uh, Woody King, who is like a celebrated, um, you know, Black theater artist from the Black art movement. Um, so when you think about, this is a man who played Malcolm X, who now is mainly in films where he only co-stars with white actors. He doesn't do any more movies. And this is someone who was able to give a 500 million settlement to his last wife, which means he likely was worth a billion or near a billion. When you think about this- I think we're in a lot, 500 million. 500 million to his last wife. And why I'm picking on Morgan, you know, and this is also a man who played God, but even was just a co-star in a movie where he plays God. It was really just more about his white co-star um, twice over. And I mentioned him. Correction, correction uh, just over 400 million. Just 400 million. million. Okay. Your point is correct, though. <laughs> That's a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. Which means that he's, like I said, nearly worth a billion dollars. Right? And this is someone who could do a lot of good related to black artists, but this is the same man who says like, why do we have black history month who grew up with Negro history week. You and I both grew up with Negro history week. People don't remember that. They think like, Oh yeah, look it up. It was Negro history week. When I was growing up, I remember in third grade, my teacher calling me over, this is Negro history week and blah, blah, blah. I was like, damn, we only got a week. It became a month later in the seventies. 
right? Look it up. It's right there. Got me Googling today. Thank you. Thank you, Samuel. <laughs> yeah. So it became, he, he says like now, Morgan Freeman, like we don't need Negro Black History Month, not realizing it wasn't about what we need. We didn't even have that. That's one. Two, that he's not African, even though he got to play with Nelson Mandela, right? So we have, you know, these particular people who are said to represent us who don't and can't even step it. Now, in contrast, I would say someone like a Denzel Washington. Yes. You know, Denzel Washington makes conscious choices, makes conscious investments in things related to us, like the great debaters, right? That film he produced and directed, um, featuring other Black actors, he is always kind of pulling someone else with him consistently. Absolutely. He's been doing that his whole career. And Who also played Malcolm X. Yeah. And played it and should have won an Oscar, uh, but then they give it to him for training day, which is, again, that's the social structure. You know, that's the so social structure. You deserve the Oscar, so we're going to give it to you for a role where you're playing something that makes that us... That was year. I think Halle Berry got it that year, too, and I was like, oh... Yeah. Okay. This is how we see you, Bedwinch and, you know, unscrupulous police officer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we, how we see you. Um, so here's an Oscar. Uh, but for us, you know, we were happy because he deserves it for all, all of the things. So give him, we don't care what he gets it for. And but, I mean, this is a consistent thing. Like, we can also talk about Wesley Snipes. Now, we see, like, I'm into comic books. And, you know, people love to talk about, like, well, you know, it was this film that put the MCU map, you know, on the map. It's like, it was Blade. It was Wesley Snipes in Blade that actually saved Marvel's butt, which was going, or act bankruptcy, that put them back on the map. But you don't want to give Wesley Snipes that kind of credit, you know, but next thing you know, he's in jail. Right. Vaccination. And I think, you know, it's recognizing how, you know, we're the front runner. And Ralph Ellison may have like pinged it in terms of talking about us in terms of Invisible Man and also the idea like keep this nigger running. Um, so there's, there's these deeper issues in the American psyche that, you know, we're talking about. But yeah, this is, this is some measure of the importance of dealing with the Afrocentric movement. It is positioning us in terms of the center. Now people may say like, well, how does that work in terms of astrology? Well, it's recognizing a couple things. One, that actually what we call Western astrology has its incipience and development in Africa. There's no question about this, right? You mean like, what do you mean? Ale if you look Hellenistic astrology, it starts in Alexandria, which is in, um, let me check, Africa, Egypt, right? So and you may say like, well, it wasn't from you know, actual Africans, you can't, unless you're just ignorant of all different aspects of history, you're not going to believe, I mean, I hope you, no one would be naive to believe that, you know, you're going to be in Africa having dealt with an African civilization and not feel like some measure of those tributaries are going to flow through the creation of this astrology. That's ridiculous. You know, so even though we might talk about as a synthesis from Babylonian um, ideas, it's a synthesis related to Egyptian. It's still a synthesis related from African people. That also becomes very key. This is something else I, I want to talk about that I, I think maybe I mentioned to you before. I definitely talked about it on Twitter. There are people who then say like, well, we should talk about our deities rather than use 
Aphrodite or use, you know, Mars. I just want to say to people who say that, do not give them your gods, right? Keep, keep some things for yourself. Cook out. Right? Yeah. Yes. It's recognizing, you know, whenever I might even, and I, I, you know, do this in my class, I might reference, there's a parallel between Heteru, which we can call Hathor, and Oshun, and Aphrodite slash Venus. There are parallels. They all have mirrors, for instance, as but they are not the same. We can't reduce people's gods to archetypes, right? And they're all similar. You know, recognizing that, you know, there are people who beseech Oshun, who um, are named after Oshun, you know? So we have to be very careful in trying to, again, kind of go on what we were talking about with Hollywood, trying to fit, you know, new wine into old wineskins, you know, trying to kind of like, well, to, to fit in. We have to be prepared to kind of create new heroes, new dimensions of how we talk about people. Like, like I said, I would love to see like a spy, yeah, who's black, maybe representing the United States or the British Empire, who's kind of in limbo, you know, in terms of how this might mean. Or oh, flips. Or flips, right. Um, Complicated. And- or reclaim old his heroes because you cannot tell me that this giant continent that can fit China, India, the United States, Russia, everything inside that landmass didn't have heroes for centuries when they gave us the stars and the moon and aqueducts and autopsies and all of the things, math, you know, you can't tell me that they didn't have heroes. And you can't tell me that the Greeks and the Romans didn't borrow because they borrowed everything else. They so did. what the hell? I mean, even the, the virgin birth. Hello, I'm sorry. Come on. Romulus and Remus, borrowed, stolen. I, I just, you know, so we should reclaim, which is part of the thing we're doing over narrative, is first remembering recent, more recent history. But we're going to go all the way back. I'm on a 20-year journey in this space. I'm committed to reclaiming everything we lost in the fire called 400 years of enslavement and colonization. Yes. Right. But I think it starts with, we're, you know, to bring it full circle, with asking questions about what are you looking at? And what is the narrative? What is the story? And that really does become key because, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into it. This is like a bit of a tangent. Like when we see all these different stories, you know, like people who are dying in hospitals, um, who didn't get the vaccine, why is that story being published, right? Or when we, we see like, oh, you know, this cop, you know, saved this kid from being killed, blah, blah, blah. Why is that story being published? See, my background, even though, yes, I have a degree in African-American studies and people say I'm an astrologer, my, my undergrad background is in public relations where my professors were very forthright. Your job is to shape public opinion. It is to mold public opinion. So it was the conscious intention of having you think a particular way. And I have said this before, I won't go too deep about this because this is a different topic. You know, I told you I would talk about the police at one time, but I, I am convinced that the police is the most successful and greatest PR machine that we've ever seen. And you might say like, well, more than like these other things, just think about you. You can go on TV 
and go to any channel and not any channel, but most channels, how many cop shows are you going to see? Of all the different occupations that we have in the world. And they're bringing cops back. Cops is coming back. Bad boys, bad boys. That's coming back. Why are we seeing so much about their, their lives? Like, are their lives so fascinating or more fascinating than every other profession that we have to see about every, you know, on any channel, at least, you know, even evening lineup, we have to see maybe seven or eight cop shows lineup. They even with Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is technically someone who clowns the police. That was his whole idea. If you read actually the books and the stories from Arthur Conan Doyle, but you look at a show like Elementary and on CBS and he's working with the police, right? Or he becomes like then not just a consultant for it and antagonistic or keeping some antagonistic relationship, like they're buddies. That's crazy. That's not even the original character. He used to clown them. So it's kind of like this corroboration that we're building related to all these different infrastructures, not realizing that they're shaping your mind. And why are they shaping your mind? I can go back with police. They want you to think the police are your friends, that the police are there for you, to support you, that they're natural. Like you can't imagine your life without the police. Like they're just like you, you know, like they have problems with their families and their children. And, all. and I'm not saying cops are not human. I am saying many of my clients who've come through you have been police officers. I am not saying that, right? They are human, but there's a certain manipulation that's going on related to public opinion that's shaping like how we have the power of law enforcement in our lives. For what reason? As I watch them on horseback with whips at the border in Texas, whips on horseback, I was triggered. Big. I mean, Texas is big on being on horses and there's been a couple episodes where They've um, tied up or, you know, I've seen one particular picture where they were brother on a horse and they had the brother tied up for a traffic violation. Y'all come on now. You are saying a whole lot right now. And I can't imagine my life without police because 99.9% of the time they aren't in my life except to stop me for a traffic violation, which is always triggering. But when I needed them, like recently, well, during the pandemic, somebody broke into one of my places and stole some stuff. I still haven't got my stuff back and we still, and I know who did it and they, they haven't got my stuff back. So we file a report and then what happens? God forbid we're in a life or death situation. Um, I had a police officer who was in Nubia uh, talk about on her job. She was a whistleblower. She would tell to the point where when she needed uh, fellow officers to come, they wouldn't come. She said, but thank God the black ones would, the black officers would, which is why even when we go into these spaces, we need to go in sober, understanding what the mythology is that we're supposed to be a part of and make sure we do swear to serve and protect when we come in. To, we, sh- we should actually make it uphold what is what we're sworn in to do. We gotta hold people accountable. All right, look, you done got me going. All right, what did uh, Muhammad Ali's chart say? Oh, to- he's a great chart. I mean, like um, I can talk about his chart. I mean, he's a Leo rising. Um, with, uh, you know, he's a Capricorn sun. I believe his moon is an Aquarius. I can, if you give me the power to, to share. Um, Go ahead. I can, I can share his chart. Um, all right, so let me just share his chart. I'm gonna do it in a different style. I'm gonna do it in equal houses. 
hold on one second. Let me get up the chart I want to get up. Yeah, I mean, he has a fascinating chart. I actually teach his chart when I, um, you know, use it with my, my students. So you guys are going to get a jump on that. But, you know, he's 19 degrees, Leo rising, moon in Aquarius. Venus is directing, directly opposing it. And his Mars um, is squared to his Pluto. You know, some of the things I've talked about in narrative. And what is fascinating, like, well, what, what is compelling about his chart? He has both elements of it. He has the very strong Mars. When I say strong Mars, it's not too far from his midheaven if we use like Taurus as his 10th house. Um, but Mars is square to Pluto. That gives a certain level of intensity, um, needing to fight, grit. And you may say like, well, Mars is in detriment. Why would Mars, where he's supposedly weak, make him strong? Well, that's the thing to understand about planets in detriment. I make the argument when we talk about essential dignity, meaning that a planet is in a place where it naturally belongs, like Saturn, Aquarius, Mars, and Aries. Um, when it, it's in that particular place, it feels, yeah, I'm good. When it's out of place, it has a sense of not belonging, but wanting to belong. So Mars in Taurus gives a lot more fight you know, someone who wants to kind of make things happen rather than just like, oh, I know I can fight. Well, he wanted to improve. Um, actually, the, I don't know what the documentary covers, but one of the stories I heard about how he got into boxing, some boy stole his bike when he was a young boy. And he actually decided that he wanted to um, get his bike back and be able to defend himself. So he went to the gym and that's how he got into boxing. And so he became someone who was determined by virtue of not feeling empowered or having power to gain his power. Now, if we look at the ruler or the planet in charge of Taurus, Venus is directly opposite to his ascendant. What does that highlight for him? Well, this highlights a lot of things, but it highlights also something that Muhammad said about himself. He said, you know, I float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. So here's someone with that Venus who indeed did float like a butterfly, who talked about how pretty he was, you know, and it wasn't just about vanity. He wanted Black people to love themselves, to feel glorious, and to embrace the feeling of glory, being glorious. But at the same time, he believed in us fighting. He lived that aspect of his life. And so he lived that Mars, and then he also lived that Venus. So I think it does capture some, you know, beautiful aspects about his chart. I laughed uh, a little bit about the Venus because, you know, he also, you know, roamed, you know, he had several different wives, you know, he has multiple children. So, you know, he, you know, sometimes, because people often think Capricorn, um, well, that's like a boring sign. I've actually heard that. That's a quote from people on, on Twitter, not realizing Capricorn is not a goat. It's a sea goat. But even if we just go with the idea of a sea goat, Goats are randy, you know, like horny like a goat, all these different things. And Capricorns can often get in trouble for that. <laughs> so he was no exception in terms of that dimension of his chart. Most of the Capricorns I know are a lot of fun. Yeah, but that's my experience of them too. But, you know, this was an Aries who also was like, I guess, faulting Capricorn for not being Aries. So... So that's, I mean, that's a little bit that we could say about Muhammad Ali. I mean, there's, there's definitely more 
you know, he has a Mercury moon conjunction. So his fluency, his ability to work with words and how he would run his mouth, that was kind of, um, you know, another dimension of it um, in terms of being able to speak as fluently and fluidly as he did. And his nemesis, I think I looked it up before, um, his, 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 his nemesis was uh, an Aries, Howard Cosell. And I say nemesis because that's more in the, in the spirit of play because they had a great dynamic, um, you know, as someone who was, who challenged supposedly his greatness, but really was um, affirming it. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I um, in college, I interned at ABC News, Radio, Radio News. I got an internship there for, and uh, I worked overnights and it was amazing. Howard Cosell did a radio show out of there. And he was one of the most generous uh, people in the whole, you know, a lot of folk, you know, they're too big to talk to you, but he spent some time and chatted with me. And I realized in that moment, this is theater, part of that mythology we talk about, you know, he recognized Muhammad Ali was something great. And in many ways, Muhammad Ali became the thing that catapulted him when he would talk about his toupee. It was almost like an Abbott and Costello type of routine. Absolutely played off of each other and uh, it was magical because I grew up in an era where this was on uh, ABC on, on, on television, you know, yeah. these uh, boxing matches. I got to see them uh, as a kid. Now we got to pay for it, but you know. Well, and, and, and now I won't even say too much about it, but you got to pay for it and you don't know what you're paying for. You know, you're paying for you it. Pay you're, pay, you're paying for a WWE. It, there's no longer for a 58 year old man in the ring. Come on. Just kind of like learned that he had to fight two or three weeks before. So that's all. That's, I'm not going to say too much more. Say less, say less. say less. All right, y'all, uh, if you're not signed up for Narrative, come over because Sam is laying the foundational work for anybody that wants to do this work. And again, foundationally, it's African. So if you are an African or African adjacent person who loves Africa, this is something that you should want to learn. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm starting classes. So I'm announcing it today. October 17th. So anyone who wants to get on that ground level with a beginner's course, nitty gritty one, it's going to start October 17th. That's a Sunday. So, you know, you can be off, you know, 11 to one, if you, you know, don't want to miss church or anything. It's 11 to one Eastern, by the way. Um, if you don't want to miss church or anything like that, then the classes are recorded. Although I think it's best to be there for the participatory, at least some of the time, participatory experience. Absolutely. All right, we're going to go to narrative and finish up some lessons that you're doing over there. Uh, so sign up narrative with a K like knowledge.com and uh, find your way into Nubia where Sam's going to eventually be in Nubia uh, talking astrology with the folk as well. Uh, what's your sign? All right, we'll find out. I'll well, see you over in narrative. Bye, Sam.